This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, November 28, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. Theresa May has a heck of a job. Sell her Brexit deal to leavers as it's this or we may forever be ensnared by the European Union. And sell the same deal to Remainers as it's this or we leave the European Union without a deal. Cato's Ryan Bourne discusses the current politics of Brexit. From the outside looking in, it looks like Brexit was an idea that was cobbled together into a referendum and then passed. And then it seems like everyone pretty much at the same time said, oh, my goodness, one, this passed. And two, how are we actually going to do this? And uh, it has been a very difficult path. What are the terms of the agreement that uh, Theresa May has put together? Well, I think you're right in that the establishment didn't think Brexit was going to happen and so were put into a a tailspin when the referendum result came through. Um, What is important to remember about the deal that is being talked about now is that that's a withdrawal agreement. It's not um, a deal that defines the the future long-term relationship between the, the EU and the UK. So in late March 2017, the UK triggered Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty, and that started a two-year clock on formal proceedings for the UK to leave the EU. Now, under the provisions of that article, within that two years, uh, the EU and the leaving country had to negotiate a withdrawal agreement. Um, so the scope of this particular agreement was about things like the rights of UK citizens in the EU and, and EU citizens in the UK at the point of Brexit. Would they be able to stay? Would they have access to welfare? Things like that. And that's all been agreed for a long time. Um, but it's also about uh, a transition period into any future relationship, a financial settlement between the UK and the EU. That's payments into the EU budget uh, during the transition and afterwards to cover things that uh, obligations that the UK had. And and finally, it included a a so-called backstop agreement, and that was uh, steps that would need to be taken to keep the Northern Irish border between the Republic and Northern Ireland free of physical checks. Now, again, none of this is about the future relationship between the EU and the UK. On that, there was a vague eight-page document accompanying the text. Uh, The only thing clear in there was the desire for the UK to end free movement of people. But other than that, this this deal um, leaves scope for a whole host of future relationships. What it's really about and the purpose of it is are the terms on which the UK will 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 leave. Why have people reacted so uh, negatively to this deal? Uh, it, because it it seems at least that it remains a hodgepodge of connections that Great Britain will have with the EU. Uh, you know, keeping some and abandoning others. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, there are some components that are now not especially controversial because they've been agreed for a long time. The transition period through to the end of 2020, when in essence, uh, well, during that time, in essence, the UK will remain a full member of the EU just without um, voting rights. And the financial settlement has been agreed for a long time. So why has this got such a negative reaction? Well, Remainers don't like it in that it doesn't commit to either staying in the EU entirely or remaining within all EU institutions indefinitely. Uh, They don't like it because it ends free movement and because they see it as giving up our vote on issues where the UK would, would stay aligned with the EU. I think the more significant question, though, is why Brexiteers don't like it. And they primarily don't like it because of this backstop agreement on on Northern Ireland. 
And the key point there is that the UK has agreed that until we come to an agreement, um, until both parties come to an agreement for different relations that will keep that that uh, border free of physical checks, the whole of the UK will be willing to remain within a customs union, within a single customs territory um, with the EU. And that means in practical terms, the UK would give up a sovereign trade policy, wouldn't be able to set its own tariffs, wouldn't be able to uh, set its own rules of origin uh, rules. And Northern Ireland would face some very different uh, EU regulations than the rest of the UK. So Brexiteers don't like that because they see it as giving up potentially one of the key benefits of Brexit, which is to run an independent trade policy and be able to vary your domestic uh, regulations. So the government comes back on that and pushes back on Brexiteers and says, well, this is only a backstop. This is only a last resort. And in reality, um, we hope that the UK and EU will sign a free trade agreement that would supersede this. But... um, Brexiteers are, are very sceptical, and I believe right right to be sceptical about that, because um, the political declaration that came alongside this withdrawal agreement talked about building on um, the single customs territory for the backstop for the full relationship. So sorry if that gets down in the weeds a bit, but in essence, Brexiteers are worried that given this backstop exists, there is little incentive for the EU to agree to a future free trade agreement uh, with the UK and that the UK will become locked in this customs territory whereby um, they won't be able to set their own tariffs, they won't be able to run an independent trade policy, they'd be bound by lots of EU regulations relating to customs with no vote. So in essence, they'd kind of be trapped in in this backstop. And the really important point here and and the point that um, Brexiteers are really exercised about is that the UK could only leave this backstop if it is triggered with the agreement of the EU. So whereas being a member of the EU, there is technically a a method of leaving, which is triggering Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty, to get out of this backstop um, would require the agreement of the EU. So arguably, you're left as as less of a sovereign country than you were even as an EU member. What would be the costs of uh, Great Britain simply saying, well, we're just, going to, we're just going to have our own trade policy and we're no longer a part of this customs union? Well, the prime minister has argued that given the EU insistence that this backstop is in part of, with, of withdrawal agreement, that if the UK is to reject this at this stage, then we would leave without a deal. Uh, now, clearly, the consequences of that in the short term would be pretty disruptive. Uh, it means that the the UK would be treated by the EU as a third country, uh, facing EU tariffs, facing EU regulatory barriers, and there's a whole host of different problems and difficulties that that would throw up. But in the longer term, clearly, um, many Brexiteers myself included, believe that it's important to have an independent trade policy. And with uh, most global growth in the next 30 years occurring outside of the the European Union, um, it's very advantageous to have an an independent trade policy. So the the question really now is, if the UK were to leave without a deal, if Parliament were to reject this withdrawal agreement, um, and the UK leave on on so-called WTO terms, how quickly following that 
the two parties would then kind of reconcile and and recognize that a free trade agreement which didn't require a backstop was in both countries interests uh, now the prime minister is pretty clear that she believes that um, no deal would be incredibly disruptive um, she's selling her proposal on the basis that uh, well to brexiteers she's saying if you reject my deal then there's a possibility that brexit might not happen at all um, because Parliament might decide, and Parliament, remember, is over, overwhelmingly full of Remainer MPs, Parliament might decide to vote to extend Article 50 or um, vote for a second referendum or whatever. So she's selling it to Brexiteers on the basis that her deal is better than not leaving at all, while she's selling it to Remainers on the basis that my deal is better than leaving without a deal, which, um, which at the moment is the default. Um, Britain will leave the European Union on March the 29th, 2019, unless Parliament proactively passes some legislation to make it otherwise. At the moment, it looks as if her withdrawal agreement will get voted down by Parliament. Uh, 99 Conservative MPs, that's over half the backbenchers that aren't on the government payroll, have uh, uh, conservative backbenchers have pledged to vote against this deal. That means to get through, it's going to rely on lots of Labour votes, and there's no indication so far that Labour are going to vote for it. Um, so at the moment, it looks as if this withdrawal agreement will get voted down, and then what will happen really is anybody's guess, uh, because as I say, Parliament will then have to proactively vote for something to prevent the UK leaving without a deal uh, in March 2019. Is Theresa May effectively then staking her leadership on the, getting this deal done? Well, I think it's fair to say she's thrown all of her um, political capital, whatever that term means these days, uh, into this. She's talked about believing in this deal with every fibre of her being. Um, but immediately off the back of the announcement of this deal, a number of highly prominent uh, Eurosceptic MPs tried to overthrow the Prime Minister. Uh, that process required um, 48 Conservative MPs to write letters of no confidence in her to a, to a Conservative Party committee to trigger a, a vote on her leadership, which would be a straight majority vote, yes or no. Um, they didn't get the requisite number to trigger that leadership contest, but I think it served as a warning that unless she changed course, she was in big trouble. And now, as I say, more pertinently, it does really look as if she's going to lose this this first vote. Um, the question is what the margin of that defeat will be. The government seem to believe, and they've been making noises, that if they lose that vote relatively narrowly, um, and perhaps there's an adverse market reaction to uh, that that deal being voted down, that they would be able to follow the, the kind of top model that we saw in the US of ramming through the deal on our second vote once MPs got windy about the potential economic consequences uh, of no deal. Now that seems to me a very, very high risk strategy to take and I think there are good reasons why um, markets might have already priced in the potential for this deal uh, to be voted down. But in truth, we're, we're kind of flying into the dark here. If this deal is voted down by Parliament, it's not entirely clear what happens next. Some people seem certainly sure that uh, it would mean a second referendum, the end of Brexit. Some people believe that it would, would almost automatically mean we'd end up leaving without a deal. But in, in truth, we'd be in a, a totally unprecedented situation and, and it's really not clear what would happen next. If the ultimate outcome is the uh, Great Britain staying in the European Union, 
despite the fact that uh, voters approved an exit from the European Union. What does that do to the politics of Great Britain with respect to the EU? Well, I think the first consequence would be it would completely tear the Conservative Party apart, as I've outlined over half the conservative backbenchers that aren't on the government payroll and probably some conservatives in the government payroll uh, would believe that this would be a democratic travesty if the UK now were to remain um, within the European Union. So I'd fully expect the Conservative Party to split. Um, if the UK were to remain in, having been through all of this process, I think um, as a nation they'd be... <laughs> Um, strongly diminished as a as a voice within the EU. Now, one of the one of the arguments that a lot of free marketers made, which I think does have virtue, is that the UK within the EU has always been a, a fairly liberalising um, force. Um, but with with this kind of democratic politics hanging over the future relationship, um, I think the UK would be viewed with extreme scepticism um, if, if it were to remain within the EU. Uh, Simply because there would there would always be a um, a political block within the UK, actively campaigning to to vote to leave again. So uh, I, I'm not entirely clear even that the European Union itself would welcome uh, the UK wanting to remain in at this stage. And if the UK were to, in essence, exit in 2019 and then reapply for membership. Um, which may well uh, be be the course of action given the kind of timeline we're talking about, um, then the UK might actually have to commit to certain things that nobody would consider sensible, like um, joining the euro in the longer term, for example. So it really would change the relationship between the UK and the EU. But the first order consequence, I think, would be a dramatic change in the um, in the political makeup of the UK's political parties. Ryan Bourne occupies the R. Evan Scharf Chair for the Public Understanding of Economics at the Cato Institute. You can subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes, Google Podcasts, and when you think about it, say, Alexa, play the Cato Daily Podcast. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.